Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Uh, good to have you guys. I hope that uh, you guys liking the weather this morning. Did, did, was anybody like last Friday just begging God for fall to come? I, I know I was. It, was. it was Friday and I was like, man, I think in the last two years since we've lived here, uh, I think that was probably the hottest day. And our air conditioner, man, I, it was working overtime probably like yours were. Uh, and I was thinking, man, I cannot wait. And this is the good part about Northern California that's different from Florida is it actually does cool off at some point, uh, so which we're, I'm excited about fall, and it's, it's fun, crazy because you guys know this here, we'll get a couple more weeks of 100, and it'll be really hot, but then fall will come, and we'll all be going, hopefully, to Bishop's Pumpkin Farm and doing the different fall stuff, uh, and if it opens up, uh, but then, and before you know it, it'll be Christmas, and uh, we'll be celebrating Christmas, and we'll uh, be involved in all the things and it'll get here it hasn't 2020 kind of went pretty quick it's definitely been different than we all expected but it's it's actually gone pretty quick and before we know it it'll be christmas time and uh for you specifically little kids uh little kids look forward to christmas probably everybody does but probably more than anything leading up to christmas is is really big for little kids i grew up in a home with three boys and our family, my mom and dad, because there were Christmas Eves that we would wake them up at like 1 or 2 in the morning, and like, hey, it's, it's technically the next day, we need to get up, and they actually created a rule for us, and the rule was, you can't wake us up till 6 o'clock in the morning. And so we would literally be at their bedroom door, 559, counting the, the seconds down to, to go in. But I can remember one Christmas Eve specifically, that like every single Christmas Eve, me and my two brothers, we were up way earlier than mom and dad, and we were watching uh, different TV shows to try to kill the time and make it go faster. And then, you know, we went to the door, wake up mom and dad, as soon as it's six o'clock, you know, rush them out of bed so that we could open up our presents. And I can remember uh, one particular year when we did that, we had gotten done opening up our presents, and we went to, to you know, start to have breakfast, and dad said, and this was different for Florida because it's not that cold, but it actually was cold this day. He said, hey, guys, why don't you boys go to the garage and get some firewood, and, and we'll go ahead and start a fire. And I don't know if it was really cold outside or if my mom had just lowered the air down to like 50 because she really wanted a fire in the house. But, but he said, go get it. So we didn't think anything of it. We had just finished opening up all our presents. We were starting to have breakfast. All right, yeah, we'll go get the firewood. And we opened up the garage door, and there were five brand new bikes sitting in the garage. And I remember I was so excited, but then it, I, I realized I've literally been up for hours, feet away from this surprise, and we never went into the garage to see these bikes. They've been there the whole time. And maybe you've experienced something like that where something really special was right under your nose, 
and you didn't even notice it. Or, or maybe it was something that had been special to you before, but for whatever reason you had kind of forgotten how important it was, and then something happened to you that reminded you of how, how much you liked this thing or how special this thing is to you. And, and there was a guy in uh, the New Testament that you would know about, whether you grew up in church or not, and he wrote a letter from prison in about 60 to 62 AD, and he wrote a letter to a group of people that he knew really well, and his goal was at the beginning of this letter to remind these people of some very special things that they had right under their nose that they may have forgotten about. And the writer, his name is Paul, and as I mentioned, he wrote to this letter to a, a group of people that he knew really well in a city called Ephesus. And, and the city of Ephesus was an important city of this day. It was a city where Paul knew these people really well. On his second missionary journey, he had spent a couple days with these people. But on his third missionary journey, and I think we have a map of it, he actually spent, this is his uh, third missionary journey, and if you uh, look, you'll find Ephesus uh, right here. And Paul, when he got to Ephesus on his third missionary journey, he actually spent three years there. So he was writing a letter to a group of people that he had spent three years with, that he knew really well, that he loved very dearly, and they were a young church in a, in a world-class city of this day called Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that had about 250,000 people in it, which was huge for that day. It was a city where uh, it had the largest library of the ancient world. It was also a city that had one of the seven uh, wonders of the ancient world. Uh, it was the Temple of Artemis, which I think we have a picture, not obviously of the original one, but of a made-up one that looks like the one they made. But, but they had this. So if you think about this city that Paul's writing to, he's writing to these people that live in this city where there's business, there's a lot of a lot of politics going on. There's a lot of commerce. This is a center of its region. Like a lot's going on in this city. Religion is huge in this city. There's 50 different temples to different gods. And Paul's writing to this young church filled with people that he loved very dearly, that he had spent a lot of time with. And he's writing to them and he's telling them about the, the riches they have because of their relationship with Jesus. And, the, and because of those riches, how that plays out in their life. Because a lot of times when you, you read the scripture and you're like, okay, I, I know I have these things and I know this stuff's true, but what does that really look like, like played out in my life? And so Paul's writing a, a letter to these people to say, hey, let me remind you what you have right under your nose, the riches you have because of your relationship with Jesus, and because of the riches you have, how that should play out in your marriage, how that should play out in your work, how that should play out in the different areas of your life. And so Paul, as he's writing, and we'll start in the very first verse of the, of the letter, here's how he starts the letter. He says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And, and you may not know this, but Paul was a guy that for a lot of his early life was an enemy of Jesus, an enemy of anything that, that looked or smelled like Jesus, like he didn't want anything good to happen to the movement of Jesus, and so he did his very best to stamp it out. But then he 
was transformed by Jesus, and now he's writing a letter after he's been a follower of Jesus for 30 years. And he's about five to seven years away from giving his own life for what he believes in. So he starts the letter, and then he, then he goes on and he says this, I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So Paul says, hey, I'm writing to, to you special people to me. You're in this city called Ephesus. This is not a real popular city to be a follower of Jesus in. But I'm writing to you, and I'm writing to you specifically, you that are faithful followers of Jesus. He's writing to people that have been following Jesus for a while. And then he kind of dives into to what he wants to say in this first part of the letter. He says, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And basically, here's what Paul's saying. Because of your relationship with Jesus, you have everything you need to thrive spiritually. Because of your relationship, not because of yourself, not how good you are, but because you're united in your relationship with Jesus, because of your relationship with Jesus, you have everything you need. He says every spiritual blessing so that you can thrive in your relationship with God and in things that are spiritual. But here's what usually we do, and this might be what was happening to the people in Ephesus. Here's what we do. A lot of times we'll ask God for things that we already have. That we'll ask God to, hey, give, give me this or help me with this. And all along, God's already given us those things. Paul says you have everything you need to thrive spiritually. If you have little kids at home or you can remember when you were a little kid, maybe you have grandkids, you know that outside of Christmas, that's obviously an important day, and there's a, you know, your birthday is an important day, but another like, great day in the year when you're a little kid, specifically like first, second, third grade, kindergarten, is the day you get to go school supply shopping. Like when you get to go, like my, my daughter already has asked us about her backpack, like a new backpack. And, and you remember when you're a little kid and you've watched maybe your older brothers and sisters or cousins, friends go to school, like the day you get to go and pick out your backpack and you get to go get your lunchbox, and you get to go pick out the pencils and the crayons and the erasers. Like, it's a really cool day. And then the first day of school happens, and every good or bad parent even will take that, hey, you're going to look cute at least on the first day, so we can get a picture and post it online. And so, man, and that first day, they, they make you the best lunch you could ever have. There's like a special note in it from your mom and from your grandma. Uh, you know, three or four months into school, they just throw a bologna sandwich and a bag of chips in it. But the first day, like it's a big deal. You wear the, like your tennis shoes are as white as they'll ever be. And you get that, like that moment in front of the whatever with the sign. And then your mom or dad posts it online and everybody likes it. But imagine this, imagine that little, you know, first grade little boy, he's, he's going, he's got his new backpack, he's got his favorite lunch box with his favorite lunch, he's got all his pencils, all his crayons, everything he could need, and then some for his friends, all in his backpack. 
But, but yet he goes to school, and, and when, when he goes into class and they start talking about coloring a picture, he starts to worry. He starts to have anxiety, and he starts to ask people, hey, could, could I borrow some crayons? I, I, need, I need something to, to color with. And then he gets ready to go to lunch, and, and he, he meant, hey, can I borrow, can I have a, some of your chips, or can I have a piece of your sandwich? All along, he's got his really cool backpack full of all the stuff he needs right on his back. And I feel like sometimes that's exactly what we do. We're the kid that, that is going to school with everything we need, and yet we're worried because we can't find a pencil, and we got the pencil box with 100 different pencils right in their backpack. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, man, you have been given everything you need to thrive spiritually because of your relationship with Jesus. And then he goes on, and he kind of unpacks this a little bit. He says in verse 4, he says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So Paul, he's writing to these followers of Jesus, and he says, hey, in, in eternity past, but before the world was even created, God looked through time and he loved you before you even existed. He loved you, and, and, and Paul even says this, he chose you and he chose you to be like his son Jesus. He chose you to be holy. He chose you to bring him glory. Before creation and before any of this ever happened, he looked through time and he loved you. And he chose you. And then Paul expands on this in verse 5 and he says, not only did he choose you, but he adopted you into his family. He, he didn't just choose you to, to, to be like his son. He actually adopted you and made you one of his kids. See, and, and, and this is really what's cool. As he was doing it, he was smiling. It brought him, the scriptures say, Paul says, it brought him great pleasure to adopt you to choose you to be a part of his family you probably already know this about yourself but if not i hope hope this doesn't offend you but on your own you would never choose god on your own no matter who you are you would never be like hey i choose god on my own you, you might be sitting there ah, well i think I, in the end i think i would no you wouldn't neither would i on our own, we would never choose God. In fact, here's what the scriptures say that, that will really remind us of. It's in, uh, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. It says this. It says, as it is written, none. Do you all know what the word none means? It's not a real hard word to understand. It means what it says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. And in case you didn't get it the first time and you thought you were the exception, he adds this phrase, not even one. Like as you're thinking, oh, I'm the exception. He says, no, 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 no. Not even you. No one's righteous. No one seeks after God. See, God didn't choose you because he was impressed with you and thought you would be good for his team. Like, you know what, I look down there and, man, that cat, he's a pretty cool guy. And I think if we could get him on the team, 
He's got a lot for he's got a lot going on. We'll choose him to be on the team because he's going to bring a lot to the table. No, the only reason God adopted and chose us is because he loved us, not because we brought anything to the table. And, and here's this, if you're a person that kind of grew up in church and you study theology, this is one of the things that people argue about on a regular basis in, in theological circles. This idea that God is sovereign but yet man has free will, and how does all that come together? If you didn't grow up in church, and, and you maybe are investigating faith, you're my, you might be like, why do people argue about that? That's just stupid to argue about. But, but that's something that people have argued about forever. And, and here's what I think is important for us to understand. Instead of wasting time and energy wondering how God's sovereignty and man's free will coincide, it's important that we remember this. First of all, it's important that we remember and picture this in your mind that God walked into the orphanage of sin and he came and he saw you and me broken, deformed, messed up, rebellious, given him the finger and he still looked at us and smiled with great pleasure in his heart and said, I want them to be in my family which is crazy that he would do that. And so instead of arguing about how all this works together and how God's sovereignty and man's free will coincide, here's what it's important that we do. It's important that we believe and obey what we do know from Scripture. And, and here's what we know. Salvation is of God. You didn't choose God if you're a follower of Jesus. God chose you. It's of him. The scriptures say it this way, that, that before you followed Jesus inside of you, you had a dead heart and a dead person can't come back to life. Something has to happen for that dead heart to come alive. And God's the one that makes it alive. So that's what we know. We know salvation is of God. But the second thing we know is this. God's sovereignty works in concert with our free will. How that happens, I don't know. God's sovereignty and man's free will are both true and they coincide. And how all that works together, you can't, you can't figure it all out. And here's the second thing that's so important. Not only should we believe and obey what we do know, but the second thing is this, we need to be thankful for and trust in a God whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours. Because, and, and I've, I've talked about this with somebody a few weeks ago, do you really want a God that you worship that you can figure out and put in a box? Like you want your all-powerful, like I'm placing my eternity in this God's hands, but he's, it's like the genie in the, you know, the the Aladdin in this tiny little lamp. Do you really want that? No, no. You know what the, the scriptures say about God? His ways and his thoughts are higher than my ways and my thoughts. And there's going to be some things this side of heaven that I'm not going to totally understand, but I trust my dad. 
I trust my heavenly Father. And that doesn't, and don't hear me say that you leave your brain at the door when you come to the scriptures. Not at all. Bring your hard questions. Bring, bring uh, the things that maybe you disagree with other people. You can bring those things. God's not intimidated by your questions. But you have to understand this. There will be things because our God is higher and bigger than we are that you're just never going to be able to totally figure out this side of heaven i have a six-year-old little girl there's some things that kate i don't even try to explain to her because she wouldn't even understand but here's here's what in our family how it works like if there's something that kate doesn't understand she's she's not sweating it she's not losing sleep because i know more than her she just trusts her dad she trusts her mom she she doesn't she doesn't lose sleep trying to like, oh, I've got to figure out all the ins and outs of the things that my dad and mom know. We're smarter than her. We've been around more. We're more developed than her most of the time. Sometimes I'm pretty stupid. But, but so there's some things that I know that my daughter Kate's just never going to be able to understand at this point in her life. And she's not sweating that. And so because of our relationship with God... We have a God whose ways and thoughts are higher than ours. That should not make you fear. If you're a follower of Jesus, that should keep you in awe and dependence on him. And thankful that that God chose you and adopted you. Why? Not because you're good, not because I'm good, but because he loves us. And, and Paul, as he's writing to these people, he, he continues and he kind of closes a section by saying, hey, because you're adopted, because you're part of God's family, let me tell you some of the things that are true, some of the riches that you have that you need to remember. He says the first thing in verse 7 is, as part of God's family, you receive freedom and forgiveness. Verse 7, it says this, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. You know, adoption is not a cheap process in our society. Usually, if you're going to adopt a kid, it is multiple tens of thousands of dollars. Well, your adoption into God's family was pretty costly. It cost the blood of Jesus. And it, it, it's because of the blood of Jesus that now, because we are united with Jesus, that Paul says, hey, as a part of the family, you have freedom. You have forgiveness. Sin is no longer your master. Sin is, you are no longer a slave to sin. Before you were a follower of Christ, and I know we have people in here that, that are still investigating faith. We have some people that have been following Jesus for a while. We have people online that are, are watching, that are in different places in their faith. When you become a follower of Jesus, you gain freedom. You don't have to sin. Before you're a follower of Jesus, and this is what the scripture says, it uses the word slave. You have a master, and the master is sin. You do what sin tells you. You manipulate the way sin tells you. You're selfish the way sin tells you. Your master is sin, and we don't even know it. But when we're adopted into God's family, we get freedom from that. We still can choose, but we don't have to sin. 
No longer does sin have to be our master. And so we have freedom and forgiveness. But the second thing we have as part of God's family is this. We get wisdom and understanding. Verse 8, he says this. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. When we're a part of God's family, he gives us the ability to better understand his will and what's important. And if we had time, we obviously won't. But we could go around this room and and if you say, hey, I became a follower of Jesus at this point in my life, I would guess that there's some changes in the way you think and some perspectives that you have that are totally different than before you had a relationship with Jesus. Because no longer is sin your master, no longer do you see things through that, that kind of perspective, but as a part of the family you have wisdom and understanding to really be able to understand what is of eternal importance but then the third thing we have is this we have a guarantee because everybody makes promises but few people come through on their promises you've experienced that some of you you've had parents you've had dads that said i'm not going to leave and they still left you, you have, you've, you've experienced some, some really tough moments in your life where somebody said something to you and promised something to you and, and then they didn't come through on that promise. And so it, it's natural that we should be skeptical like, okay, yeah, sure, God, okay, forgiveness and freedom and a future in heaven, okay, that's all great. But you know what? I've heard promises before. And, and, and here's what Paul kind of reminds the Ephesian believers he says you know what i not only does god promise this to you but he actually guarantees it and when when we talk about a guarantee with god it's not a guarantee that this might happen it's a guarantee this has already taken place and i'm going to give you the first installment it's already like the deal's done. It's not eh, the deal might end up and the heaven thing might happen and, and God might do this in the future. No, this is already bought, paid for. It's done. And the first installment of the guarantee is the Holy Spirit I'm going to give to you. And here's what Paul says as he's writing to the, the believers there in Ephesus. He says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. So this message that, that he's talking about, this good news, it first came to the Jews, but now it's come to the Gentiles. And, and here's the message. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus rose from the grave, and you can have a relationship with God. This good news that it first came to the Jews, but now it's come to the Gentiles. And, and he goes on, he says, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee, his seal, that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. See, if you're an adopted child in God's family, and how do you become an adopted child in God's family? You believe the good news. What's the good news? That you, in and of yourself, can do nothing to save yourself. The Bible calls that sin. It says we've all sinned and we've fallen short of what it takes to have a relationship with God. 
But because God loved us so much, he sent Jesus, his son, to live a sinless life and then to die a death paying for our sins and not his because he hadn't sinned. They put his body in the grave and then he rose from the grave and then he offers us a free gift of salvation. And and when we come to him for salvation, we don't come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to add you to my tool belt as one of the options. No, we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I believe what you did for me. I want a relationship with you that I know will transform me. When we do that, when we're adopted into God's family, our future is really bright. In fact, the scriptures say it this way, that when you're adopted in God's family, you have all the rights and privileges of an adult child in a family so when when there's an inheritance to be given usually they don't give that inheritance to a child they they, there's something that's set up where they can have that inheritance when they get a little older and what paul's saying is hey if when you're an adopted part of god's family you are an adult son or daughter with all the rights privileges and inheritance that jesus has which is crazy to think about and, and, and instead of this empty promise like, hey, I, it might work out for you and I'll throw out a cool promise and get you to kind of come on the team and then hopefully everything works out for you. No, he says, this is a done deal and I'm actually going to give you the Holy Spirit as your guarantee that you aren't going to lose it and it's not going to lose you. It's guaranteed. It's done. See, the deal's been completed and secured. And so if you're like me, it's easy for you to be the kid at school with a full backpack and at the same time looking for a pencil worried because you can't find one. And you know what that looks like in, in our spiritual life? It's, it looks like allowing bitterness to take root in our heart when we have everything we need to not have a bitter heart. You know what else it looks like? It looks like making selfish decisions with our money when we have everything we need to steward what God gives us well. He's given us all we need as his children to know how to do that. It looks like not treating people with kindness, not being a good neighbor, when we have everything we need to treat people well. We have, God has given us everything we need to thrive spiritually. It's, it's continuing to struggle with lust and pornography and you fill in the blank and, and hoping it goes away and asking God to change it and feeling bad when you do it again. All the while, you have everything you need to have victory in that area but you won't open up the backpack and use the supplies. I find myself like that kid that has everything they need, and yet I'm still struggling with things that I have everything I need for. Maybe you, maybe you can relate. Imagine with me. Just think about your, this next week. Imagine what might your life look like if this week throughout each day you reminded yourself of this statement. In Christ, I have all I need to live free and please God. In, you don't see your name there, do you? I, do, I don't see my, I mean, actually Christ and Chris are pretty close, but it's not the same. I'm not saying I'm like Jesus. Uh, but, but in Christ, not in you, 
Not in going to church, not in, you fill in the blank, all the things we think of, oh, if I can get that and check that box, I'm good. Nope. In Christ, I have all I need to live free. What does that mean? To live free from sin. Some of us in this room are literally chained up with sin that we are hating and we're wishing it didn't happen and we want to get past it but we continue to fall and because we're not living in Christ we're living in our own strength and we continue to struggle because of our pride in Christ I have all I need to live free and please God what if what if throughout the week just imagine if just for one week a few times a day, as you're going through your day, as you're meeting, going through the different challenges that you face, that if you just reminded yourself, hey, in Christ, I have all I need to live free and to please God. See, this is one of the reasons that we are so passionate about city groups. Because you know what we do in city groups, and many of you are part of a city group? We remind each other of truth in that city group. And this statement right here isn't a new statement. It's just a statement we have to be reminded of. And we need people around us that are going to remind us of truth. Because we will easily forget it. And we'll be the kid walking around with everything we need. And it's all in the backpack and we're struggling. Maybe you're here and you'd say, Chris, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of investigating faith, but man, today I, there's something inside of me that's drawing me. I feel like, man, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Well, here's what I would say to you. Today, we want, we want you to do that. If, if you feel something inside of you that says, man, today I, I want to cross over the line. I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to start a new life. Then before you leave today, you can do one of two things. You can find one of us. And let's sit down right now. Let's talk about it. Or if you say, hey, man, I'd like somebody to call me and just have some questions about this. There's a card right in front of you. It says next steps or connect on it. And there's a spot where you can just check a box that says, hey, I want to receive Jesus. And you can put your name there and we'll contact you this week. Allow you to ask any questions you have so that you can really understand this and you can become a follower of Jesus. But as we close... Don't be the three brothers that stayed up all night waiting for Christmas morning when the best present of the whole Christmas was just a few feet away and we never knew it. Don't be the person that walks through your life defeated, struggling, because when you're a follower of Jesus, everything you need, you have access to. And honestly, more than you could imagine. And you have a future and an inheritance that you can't imagine. And neither can I. Better. And we have a seal and, and a promise, an engagement ring called the Holy Spirit. That promises that what has been promised will come true. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote. He wrote it to these people in a uh, world-class city with a lot of things going on in education and religion and in commerce but yet lord this this young church needed to be encouraged they needed to be reminded of what they have because of their relationship with you lord i pray for people in here that are followers of you but yet 
if, if they were honest, they are held in the cords of sin because they are not living their life in you. They're living their life in their own power and their own pride when they have access to all they need to live free. Lord, I pray they would surrender today. Lord, for those that are watching online or maybe they're here and, and just feel your pull and they want to start a relationship with you, I pray that they would, whether it's with the online card or with the card in the, in the pew in front of them, Lord, that they would fill that out. We would be able to have a conversation this week to really help them understand better how they can have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.